At 56, I, uh, I know a lot more about life than I did when I was six. I have a lot greater perspective on it. I, lot, I know a lot more stories. And one thing I know is that life's really hard. It's really hard. And I look, at, and, 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 and there's hard things that we all experience. And I, I look around this room, and I don't have to look far. And I, I think of people that have experienced an immense amount of pain. I think of the Wilkins losing their son you know, not too long ago. I think of friends who want to have babies and can't have them. And I think, and I, I can look and get emotional here, but I see my sister over here. Lost her son four years ago in a tragic accident. I think family, um, our family, uh, both Brenda and my, our moms are losing their memories, you know? And it's hard on them. It's hard on their husbands of 60 years. It's hard on their kids. It's just, it's just tough. I've got a, one of my closest friends, he buried his son, died in a, a motorcycle accident just this last August, just last month. And, uh, you know, a, a colleague of mine has a, has a brain tumor. And it's a, it's a cancer that very few people survive. And uh, she's got two little kids, lives out in Prineville, Stephanie. So life's really hard. And, you know, Depending on where you grew up, that's not the gospel you heard. That's not what we were told. We, we weren't prepared for that. We didn't think about that. And, and you know, it's kind of like selling a car. You, you know, you're not pointing out all the flaws, you know. You just are saying, and this is the good thing. And so that's not the way Jesus was about the gospel, was it? You know, he, he's always trying to talk people out of following him. You know, he just said, hey, I, I don't have a place to lay my head. And uh, he, he tried to talk people out until they really knew where they were at. In fact, what he said was, he said, in this world, and he's talking about troubles, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're, you're going to have it. It's going to come. You can count on it. So with Jesus saying that, one thing I, I can say unequivocally, but I know about everybody in this room, is you either have had a hard time, you will have a hard time, or you're, you're actually going through one right now. And uh, and in fact, is everybody probably knows somebody that is, and so today I've called the message a theology of hope, because I feel that we need to, each of us needs to have something to look to, and and we need uh, we need help for ourselves going through a hard time, and we actually need to be wounded healers. We need to be able to help other people going through a hard time. So it's my prayer today that as we look at some scriptures and talk about some things, you'll have some tools for yourself and for the people you love to help them navigate those times. So let me pray, and, and then we'll get started. So Father, uh, today, uh, you know everybody that's here, and you know their hearts, you know what they're thinking, and you know the individuals that desperately need to know you care and know how to navigate these difficult times. And we have friends that are going through those times, Lord, and, and we need help so that we can be ministers of the gospel. Scripture says that we're, talks about the priesthood of the believers, Lord, and we believe that and we want to be ready. So help us today to, uh, help me to be clear and not get in the way of your word and not get in the way of your spirit and just, God, we just uh, give this time to you. Help us to learn from you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing uh, you absolutely have to know when you're going through a hard time is that God's glory is of more consequence than your circumstances. God's glory is of more consequence than our circumstances. And I, I, you think about the book of Job, you got in chapter one, uh, you know, it says that Satan's out looking around the earth and he comes and presents himself before God. 
And they start talking, and God says, hey, if you look at Job, that man, he's a man of integrity, he's a man of righteousness. And, and Satan says, well, yeah, God. And he kind of throws down this challenge. He says, the reason he's that way is because everything you've given him, God knows where he's coming from. And he says, okay, here's, go ahead. You go ahead and take that stuff from him. Take it all. Just don't touch his life. So that's what Satan did. God gave him the ability to do that, and he, and he destroyed his, his, every, his livelihood, everything about him, his family, everything except him, his health and his wife's. And then in chapter 2, we see Satan coming in front of God again and saying, and God said, have you looked at Job? Have you looked at my servant Job? He, he, said he's, he says he's maintained his integrity even though I let you wound him without cause. Without cause. God, God let Satan do that, and there wasn't a reason other than God's glory. And see, Job didn't have a really great perspective on that at that time. In chapter 6, it says, I don't have the strength to endure. I do not have a goal that encourages me to go on. But there is so much that we learn from Job's life. We learn that, we learn that there's a lot going on that we don't see. There are questions that we don't have answers for at this point in time. We learn that our suffering is not about our comfort. It's about God's glory. And, 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 and Job didn't realize that his suffering was on display for all of heaven. Oswald Chambers says that uh, we tr trust in the Lord whose, way, whose ways I don't understand. If we did understand his ways, we would not need to trust him. Just think about this thing about glory. And there are just things we don't know. There's things we've got to, we just don't know. What about Jesus? And what, what do they say about Jesus in Hebrews 12? It says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, before him, endured what? The cross. So on the other side of the cross, Jesus had something he was looking to. But it was the other side of the cross. How about Paul in 2 Corinthians 4? What does he say? He talks about, remember the list of Paul's stuff that he went through? I mean, twice stoned, um, um, shipwrecked, uh, whipped like crazy. And what, what does Paul call that? I've, I've never experienced anything like that. What does Paul call it? He calls it his light and momentary sufferings. Really, Paul? In comparison to what? Because they're in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that those things are going to produce. That's why Paul's able to say that. In Psalms 50, 15, it says, the Lord says that, trust in the Lord during your times of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will bring me glory. See, our, our circumstances, God's, God's glory trumps our circumstances. It's more important than our comfort. Another, so that's the first one. Uh, the first thing is, that the second that's that's a nice little segue there say it three times sorry i'm yeah number two <laughs> moving on to number two number two is you've got to believe that god is good all right you have to believe that uh, i preached uh, i got a chance to speak a year ago over uh, at the church and um um the reason I didn't get back is because I missed the fine print in the contract for guest speakers. There's a, a deal in there that said, and I got in trouble. It says, it's almost a commandment, and I think Ken put it in there because of his love for C.S. Lewis. It says, thou shalt quote C.S. Lewis at least once, right? <laughs> well, so I've got a C.S. Lewis quote that you've heard before so that maybe I can come back. But uh, you know the story of, in Narnia when uh, the, be the beavers are talking, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking to the children, and, and, th and they're talking about Aslan, and they, didn't, they did not know Aslan. They'd never experienced him before. They didn't know what he's like, and Aslan is a picture of Christ. 
And they asked him, well, is Aslan safe? We could say, is God safe? Is God safe? Is Aslan safe? And they said, no, but he's good. And so, um, Psalms 34, 8 kind of gives a picture of that, too. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then it says, oh, the joys who take refuge in him. Why do you have to take refuge in someone who's good? Because he's not safe. This God calls us to an, an unsafe life. He tells us we're going to have tribulation. Job didn't get the bigger picture of his suffering early on. And so he doubted the goodness of God. He said, he attacks me without reason and multiplies my wounds without cause. Words that he would later take back. And, and, and at the end of the book, in 42, he, he's answering God. God says, who is this guy? Who are you that challenges me? Who are you that challenges my wisdom? And Job says, it is I. He says, I spoke of things too wonderful for me. I, I didn't know. With that fresh revelation of God, everything changed. And you know, Job said that before God, re we know the end of the story, God restored him, and Job said all that, though, before God did that. It was I, I, I spoke of things too wonderful. There's things that we don't know. I think another big one um, when you're going through stuff is that um, you got to believe, the third thing is you got to believe God cares. And the temptation when you're going through something is you don't believe God cares. I just believe Satan's sitting there whispering. He's going, you're alone. He's not watching. He doesn't care. And, and, and he attacks us that way. And I, I, I have a dear friend. Gosh, every time I talk about friends and family, I get emotional here. So I'll take a breath. But my friend Britt Merrick, um, his daughter Daisy, has, uh, has had cancer the third time. When it came back this third time, it hit him really, really, really hard. And uh, he had to go silent because he was going through these deep trials. Is God fair? Is this fair? Really, God? Daisy? Eight-year-old Daisy, third time? Multiple operation chemo. And, and Britt just went silent for a while because he said, I don't have anything to say right now. But there's that temptation that Satan says, are, are you, are you, you know, he just whispers to you, God doesn't care. It's an incredible verse. And by the way, Psalms 22, same thing. You know, you have that's a messianic psalm where Jesus quotes on the cross. What does he say? My God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? That's all through the psalms. Every, you know, they're feeling that pain, that loss, that question, answer, asking that question. But here's a verse that is so special to me. I, I, I love, love, love this verse. It's, um, this is Psalm 56, 8. And, and this is what it says. I'll read it here. It says, uh, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You keep track of all my sorrows? But Satan told me he didn't care. You collected my tears in a bottle. You keep track of them in your book. Now, I suppose God could have a bottle that big if he wanted to collect tears, but it's a, it's a picture that God deeply, deeply cares when we're going through things. And it says he collects it, he keeps track of them, he collects them, and he writes them down in his book. I know, but, I mean, Scripture has a lot to say about the books God has, a book of life and things like that, and there's a part of me that thinks he really does have this book. And I just kind of wonder... I wonder if we're going to have the opportunity in heaven to just have a conversation with Jesus. 
And for him to just, come here, Don. I want to show you some stuff. Can you imagine that? He cares. He keeps track of my sorrows, collects my tears. He writes them down. He's got a pretty good memory. He's God. I don't think he needs a book for himself. Kind of have a hunch that book's for us, for us to sit down someday, have that thousand-year conversation. Keeps track. God cares. Another verse along those lines that just really, really challenges me in, in Psalms 139, just that chapter. And remember in, there, remember in there, David says that your thoughts towards me are like the sand on the seashore. Now, I don't think it's metaphor. I think it's true because this is the God who is infinite, who knows everything, right? And this is the God. I mean, me, I can keep track of three or four things maybe at once. But God knows the juxtaposition of every random molecule in the universe. And so when it says your thoughts towards me are thousand, like the great sand on the seashore, infinite. I, I believe that God has thought about every single one of us in this room from eternity past and will for eternity forward and is currently thinking about us. We're, we're not lost. He cares. God cares. I love that. Psalms, that's in Psalms 139. Job talks about how God uh, leads sufferers to safety. Safety. I love that. God's aware of the pain that we're in, and he's a father who loves us. The fourth thing you need to know is that God actually has a plan for the pain, a plan to redeem it. In my own life, I was 24, and I had a, a major, major hunting accident. Um, the gunsmith, what he did wrong was uh, cross-threaded a screw that went into the back of my 12-gauge shotgun. What I did, did, went, did that w was dumb was I whacked my dog on a rump with the stock of that gun and with a gun barrel pointing towards me, the 12-gauge uh, shotgun with number four duck shot for the guys and women who hunt, uh, went off this far from me. So that's what this big bulge is over here, not so bad over there. Um, yeah, I shot myself in the stomach and I was out there in the woods, laid out there for 11 hours before anybody found me. And miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, they wrote it up in a magazine called Guidepost. That's not the point. The point is that I was very involved in commercial construction, loved working with my hands, loved working outside. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And the doctor told Brenda that I would, if I lived, I'd have a permanent colostomy. Don't. Um, and he said, uh, and he also told her that I'd probably never walk again. So I'm looking at a, a future that doesn't include working in commercial construction anymore. And I remember my father-in-law coming up and at one point saying, you know, Don, this is God's gift to you. And, and honestly, I thought he was a little callous at the time. He just said, you know, you're good with using your hands, and now you have to use your head. You'll be better with that. And while I was in the hospital, God did some amazing things. I was in the hospital about 28 days, and uh, during that time, he just revealed to me, you're going back to college. So I went back to Multnomah uh, Bible College and uh, ended up getting involved in Christian publishing. And... and uh, Brenda was actually my first boss in Christian publishing. What a, what a model employee. I'm sure she'd tell you afterwards if you talked about that. But I got involved in Christian publishing. Later on, we, you know, we, now we're part of a, a literary agency. And um, 
that uh, is, and, and God completely, though he changed the trajectory of my life, he changed the plan that I did not want. I would, did not want it, and it took a hunting accident to do it. And the problem is, is that when that pain happens, that first thing happens, we're like up against it. We have no perspective. There's absolutely no perspective there. We, 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 we don't get it, and, and, and we're feeling that pain, and, and we're, we're looking at it and we're saying, God, this doesn't make sense. And it's kind of like looking at the backside of a tapestry, isn't it? All those random strands going through. But then as you get the perspective of a week maybe, a month, a year, whatever, all of a sudden you're looking back and you're going, God, that's what you were doing? That's what you were up to? If I'd only known that, if I'd only known that. When you're up close like that, uh, sometimes it's just hard to hear God, and that's why you have to believe he has a plan. And in Exodus 8, it, uh, Moses is tell, it says he, Moses told the people what God said. It says, but they refused to listen because the brutality of their slavery was just too much for them. It's hard to hear and hard to have perspective when you're up close like that. So in those, kind of, those times, you absolutely have to have a, you just have to have this belief that, that that God's there and that he has a plan. And I love Isaiah 50. I think the last time I spoke, I used this verse, but it talks about let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord his God. And, I, and, and also Psalms 18, it says, you light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. Uh, when I think about this idea, excuse me, this idea of God, uh, this, of having a plan, I love this uh, Psalms um, one, uh, what is it, uh, 77.19. I've turned it to the wrong spot here, so I'll read it on my notes. But Asaph is recounting uh, God's deliverance of Israel when he, when, he took them out of, um, when he took them out of Egypt. And you remember they get out of there, and they're all celebrating. They've got their backs up against the Red Sea, and everybody's celebrating. And then they see the Egyptians coming after them. And they're looking around, and you remember the Egyptians, Egyptians loaded them down with gold and everything, and everybody's looking around, I didn't, I didn't bring a sword, whatever, and what, what's God going to do? Well, the first thing he does is he puts a cloud between them to evacuate his people out through the Red Sea. Now, when you and I hear about the Red Sea, we almost use it, hey, well, God can part the Red Seas, but the fact of the matter is it had never happened before. That had never happened before. So I love this verse. It says that, uh, it says, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters. And it says a pathway knew, no one knew was there. God had never done that before. He'd never parted the waters. And that's what I've discovered. I'll bet you that's some of your testimony as well, too, is that God has paths. He delivers us in way we, ways we can't even imagine. That's what he does. And it's because he's God. A big one, um, really tough one, is this fifth thing that you've got to believe, you've got to know, and that is you, you've got to know that you can trust God with your pain. When you're going through a hard thing, um, it's easy to make an idol out of your pain. To make an idol is to make something bigger than it is, and to profane God is to make him less than so by saying that God is not able to deal with my pain. I'm making an idol out of pain and making less of God. 
in uh, Jonah 2, he talks about those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that is theirs. They forfeit the grace. And so you don't want to hang on to that pain. You don't want to cling to it. And, and um, the passage here, excuse me, lost my place here. See, when you're not paying me for being a pro, I get to do that every once in a while. You can look at your notes and take a moment. So Ken can't pull this off. He can't stop in the middle of a sermon and do this. A farmer, um, ultimately farming is an act of faith, right? Because you're taking these seeds and you're putting them in the ground and you're doing all the work and you have to trust God for the, for the water and you've got to trust God for the rain and, and the sunshine. And there's this incredible little verse, Psalms 126, 5 through 6. Listen to what it says. It says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. The whole idea here, excuse me, I haven't got that part down yet either, apparently. Um, the whole idea here is that it's that you can trust God with your burden. I mean, God's given people these huge burdens, and the idea is that I can trust him with it. And as I, in one translation talks about bearing the seeds of uh, bearing the burden of the seeds and the idea is you're getting up early in the morning and you've got this big heavy weight you're carrying and you're putting your seeds in the ground and they're saying they're going out with tears but God's promise is that they'll come back with singing now a friend of mine said yeah Don I know so many people that you know they, they never see that happening and the fact of the matter is there's different kind of crops that a farmer plants you know if you're planting lettuce you get it pretty bad. You get it pretty quick, right? You plant in filbert orchard. It takes a while, and again, there's things going on you don't know. I don't know. God's at work doing something in you through you that only He knows, and so we have to be able to trust Him with our pain, and that's what this picture is. So five things you got to believe. You've got to believe that God's glory is of your more consequence than your circumstances. You've got to believe that God is good. You've got to believe he has a plan. You've got to believe he cares. And you've got to be, you can trust him with your pain. Now I'm going to give you three things you can do. The first one is really, really important, is change that finish line. Going back to my friend, he just said, he said to me, he said, you know, hey, I know all these people, they never see this relief. And, and I said to him, you've got to change the finish line. You absolutely have to change the finish line. I used a verse earlier, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, same thing with Paul. The whole idea is that it's out there. And, you know, we are so tempted to think about now. We, again, it's a up-close tapestry. We're living right there, and we absolutely need to change our perspective. You know, most things they say that we worry about never happen is all those things right in front of us. Do you know how, how many uh, days from now a million seconds is? i make sure I get this right. Yeah, I got it. A million seconds is 12 days from now. Do you know how, how many years a billion seconds is? It's about 31 about 31 years. A billion seconds from now, I'm 87 at the time. I'm 
probably, maybe with the Lord. You know, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm a senior now. I'm starting to get those things from AARP. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when I got the first one. Seriously, I was surprised. I'm 50. Why am I getting this thing? And, and uh, I haven't signed up yet. I haven't done it. Still holding out. I've not taken advantage of those 55-year-old discounts they give you in the restaurants and, and all. But the fact of the matter is I'm kind of classified as a senior. I don't see myself that way. If you knew me, you'd probably say he's not a senior. He needs to grow up. But, uh, you know, it just... My daughter, that's my daughter laughing over there. She knows. Her dad needs to grow up. So, um, but the fact of the matter is I've got X amount of years left. Maybe, maybe if God's grace to me a billion seconds. And most of us my age, guys, are checking out. You know, we're working on our golf game because it's going to be really important in heaven, you know, how, if you can drive a galaxy. Now, I'm not getting on golf, whatever, but here's the thing. That one statement, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, if you, if you study rewards in Scripture, you start thinking, what in the world are we wasting our time on? Why are we wasting our time? We need to change our finish line. We need to start thinking not about 12, a million seconds, 12 seconds, not a bit, even about a billion. Some of you younger people, 30 seconds, you're thinking about retirement. Maybe we need to be thinking about a trillion seconds, 30, which is 31,000 years from now when heaven's just beginning. We need to change the finish line. There's a book out there that uh, said, I learned my third time. Pretty good, huh? Say I'm learned. So uh, there's a book out there, it's called Your Best Life Now, sold about 10 million copies. You know, for the Christian, that's not what Jesus said. He said, your best life is later. And when Scripture talks about rewards, it talks about Jesus rewarding every thought and deed. Every thought and deed. Can I ask, what else is there? See, every thought and deed has the capacity to bring God's, God glory. Scripture says that our lives are living epistles being read by men. And I take that to mean that also, and I won't die for this, but I really believe it. Different kind of belief. I believe that the things that we're doing now by faith for God's glory are, are going to be the lore and legend of heaven. That we're kind of writing the Bible of the future, if you will. Bear with me. I, I, think, I, I think it's safe. Um, I'll just give an example. I... I Brenda and I were in a restaurant uh, not too long ago, and a lady came up to her and said, are you Brenda Jacobson? She goes, yeah. She goes, I was your daughter, Danae's basketball. Oh, yeah, hi. Hey, I'd like to talk to you. And so they got on the phone later on. And this lady said to Brenda, she goes, um, when you were at the games, when you came to the practices, uh, she said, Brenda, I knew something was different about you. And she said, uh, and it put me on a search. She said, I became a Christian because of that. And she said, I told the Lord, next time I saw you, I'd tell you. And see, I think that's happening in heaven. I think when you get to heaven, 500 years, 1,000 years out, 50,000, whatever, you'll be walking down the road, and somebody's going to say, hey, 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 I want to talk to you. Do you remember Bob that you told when he was going through a hard time that Jesus loved him and you shared with him? Well, what you may not know is that Bob 
sent a letter to my friend uh, who lived, was a student. He's in Hong Kong. And that friend became a Christian, led me to Christ. And, and I led 30 people over here. We're meeting over here. I'm in this little study that I led to Christ. And you're kind of the reason that that happened. I really believe that's true. I believe you will see all that happening. And only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We've got just this period of time down here to do things by faith for his glory because once we're in heaven, you don't need faith anymore. It's still all about his glory, but you don't need faith. And it's those things that God rewards our faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 says what? That God, he rewards those. With faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to believe God. And you must believe that he's a rewarder of those. So change the finish line. Another thing you can do, real practical, is tell stories. Tell stories. You know, uh, in Job, he talks about the courage that comes from hope. And we get courage. We get encouraged when people tell us stories, tell us stories of how God did things. Uh, next year, we've got a book coming out um, uh, with Thomas Nelson. We've been collecting stories. of uh, We call it God Makes Lemonade. We've been collecting them for the last couple of years, and they're all stories about how God takes really bad things in people's lives, hard things, things you wouldn't wish on anybody. And he takes those things and he absolutely does something in his inimitable way that only he can do. And he, and he makes them, he does stuff. And why are we doing that book? Because we want to encourage people. We want people to have hope. We want to help people hang on. And, you know, you just start, I could tell you a bunch of the stories, and it's kind of fun because a couple guys here in the congregation helped work on it. David Jacobson worked on it for a while. Now our Matt Smith, who just moved up to Seattle, he's been writing stories. We send off the first half tomorrow, and it's been, a, been an absolute delight. But, you know, you start thinking, you start looking, start thinking about what I call lemonade theology, that God makes good things out of bad things. It doesn't take away the pain. I mean, it, you know, that pain's still there, that hole's still there, but... God does something. He harvests that pain. And you, you see it all through Scripture. I tell people that I think Joseph is the patron saint of lemonade. You know, think about it. You know the story. Brothers throw him in a pit, sell him in a slavery, accused of rape, tossed into prison wrongfully, stays in prison when he should have got out after helping some guys. And at the end of his life, after, at the end of his father's life, after his dad dies, the brothers came to him because they're afraid now Joseph's going to get even with this. They said, hey, bro, you know, Dad said, and he, and he just was emotional that they didn't get it, that God allowed it to happen. These are stories we need to remind ourselves. It's a Ruth, you know, the story of Ruth, she, a Moabite woman her, woman, her husband dies, and she follows her mother-in-law back to Israel, and through just God's providence, he brings in this kingdom, uh, kingsman redeemer named Boaz, and he, they become part of the lineage of Christ and King David. Joshua, we're reminded in the book of Joshua to, to remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we're, when we remember, we're encouraged, and there's hope that comes from courage. There's hope that comes in that courage. So we, we need to tell stories. We absolutely need to tell the stories. The third thing, the final thing is, is uh, that you can do is to love your way out. I borrowed that phrase from Ken, and, and uh, he said it in a message a long time, but you love your way out. You know, um, Cammie's one of our four children, only one here, so I get to pick on her. But I remember when they were young, uh, you know, if a kid hurt their finger, you know, or they 
got their feelings or whatever, and they're crying. And what I did as a dad is tried to get them to look somewhere else, try to distract them. So I'd do something funny or whatever. And next thing you know, even though the finger isn't hurting any less, or the emotions are, because they've looked away, because they've looked towards something else or somebody else, all of a sudden they're not crying. And that's one of the things we can do. We, this whole idea of turning away in, from our own sorrow and pain and turning towards somebody else and engaging with that other person. I, uh, Brent and I went through some pretty tough stuff uh, a while back, just some financial stuff. And, uh, and uh, a friend uh, said to us, I uh, said, you know, you guys have really been through some tough stuff. Wow, it's been going on six years. My goodness, what a... What a, what a burden you guys have carried. And I'm going, yeah, it's been rough. And then I get off the phone, and I just was sitting and thinking about it, going, hold it. We've lived in a really nice house these last six years. Kids went to college, had a couple of cars, went on a couple of nice vacations. I ate a little too good. Compared to what? You know, when you realize that 90% of the world would trade the best day of their life for my worst day, so we have to get perspective. We have to look away from our own problems and look towards other people and help them out. You know, there's this incredible verse of long. There's a benefit of long. In uh, Matthew uh, 10, uh, Jesus is commissioning the disciples to go out, and he's telling them, when you go to somebody's house, just stay there, because when they receive you, they receive me. In fact, he says, whoever receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous person because they're a righteous person, person receives a righteous person's reward. Whoever even gives somebody, one of my servants, a cup of cold water. So as you look away from your problem, as you look away from your situation, uh, you engage and you actually participate in that other person. You receive their reward along with them. It's kind of crazy. It goes back to that whole concept of every thought and deed. What else is there? God does anything he can. He rewards every every part of us that promotes his glory. So three things to, you can do. You change your finish line. Start thinking about a trillion seconds, not a million. Tell stories. And scripture says to encourage one another daily as long as it's today. Tell stories. And then love your way out. Turn away from your problems. Get perspective and look at somebody else and enter into their sufferings with them. You guys uh, remember, if you've been at Antioch a couple of years, you might remember when uh, Ken Hutcherson was here. Ken, a uh, good friend of mine, he was staying with us at the time, and uh, it was really tough. Uh, Ken's been, body has been decimated by cancer. Um, I remember helping him up the stairs in our home and just watching, helping him walk up the stairs. I remember him shuffling up the stage, and for us that know him, know our buddy that used to be a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys and a couple other teams before he became a pastor. Really, really tough. I remember him getting up to the pulpit, and he was, he was not weak in the pulpit. And Ken stood up here, and he said, Cancer has been my pastor. Think about that statement. Cancer has been my pastor. Cancer has pointed me to God. Cancer has encouraged me. Cancer has, cancer has been my pastor. You know what he said after that? I, I, it's, I, I'll never forget it. He just said, can anything truly bad happen to the man of God, the woman of God? 
See, he understood that everything that comes our way, why God didn't will it, he's allowed it. This thing has been, one author said, father filtered. He allowed it. He allowed it to happen. And, you know, and, and Hutch isn't saying, Hutch isn't saying that he, he, he doesn't wish that he could still, for the, you know, some of you archers, he, he could still pull back his 95-pound recurve. He wishes that he could ride his stallion jack across an open field, you know, chasing a stray cow. He wishes he could actually still drive his truck. These are things he can't do. But he understands that his best life is later, not now. And so Hutch has grabbed hold of the grace that God has given him. I had a friend um, named Jeff who, uh, my age, had a son, my son's age, and his son had leukemia. Went through just a horrible thing. And I just said to him, I said, Jeff, I can't imagine going through what you went through with my son. He said, of course you can't. Because God says his grace is sufficient and that he gives you that grace when you need it and not before. I think uh, sometimes God allows us to actually go through hard things so that he can reveal to us things he already knows to be true. I think he actually lets us to go through. He knows, he knew the truth about Job. He never told Job about the chat he had with Satan. Job just probably felt like he had a bullseye on his back. And ultimately what that cosmic battle was about was does God, does Job love God for what God gives him or does Job love God for who he is? I wonder then uh, if we might think of suffering as a gift almost, a severe mercy. And, and for some, it's really severe. But that in some ways that, uh, that pain is a gift from the Lord because it gives us this opportunity to trust him and to bring him glory. There are people in this room that obviously that have experienced way more pain than I have. And I believe, I truly believe in heaven there's just great reward for them. And I have to ask myself, am I a person, are you a person that God can trust with pain? He says he won't give us any more than we can handle, even though it's insurmountable. You don't think you can do it because you haven't got the grace until you don't have the grace that you need. You don't have the grace you need until you have it, until you're in that situation. So I've got a final question for us, and uh, for me, and that is, what about us? Uh, when uh, God takes everything away, is he enough? Is God enough if he took everything from you? And, and that's just something we have to wrestle with. And I would say if we don't know the answer to that question, then we need to get to know God better. We need to know that revelation of God where Job said, I spoke of things too wonderful for me. Again, before he, God re-blessed him with a new life. So remember, there's some things you got to believe, some things you can do to get through this. And this is for you and for, and for you to help the person, uh, somebody you know and you love and to go through these things. And I like to pray. And, and um, afterwards, if anybody just wants to pray, want somebody to pray with them and scripture talks about bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ 
often tell people you can't bear what people don't share. So uh, there's a fellowship in suffering. We're all wounded healers. And uh, so anybody wants to pray, I'll be up here to pray with you. So let me pray. Lord, um, I pray that um, my stammerings and false starts on different things and even forgetting a couple of things I was going to say uh, don't get in the way of what your spirit wants to do in our lives. I, I really believe, and I, I just know that in a, a group this big, somebody got some really rotten news this week. And uh, they're hurting. And those questions about your goodness, questions about you caring, all those things are heavy right now. And I also know that, uh, that we'll go through those things as well, too. So, Lord, would you just take the tr any truths of Scripture here and just um, work them down deep with your spirit into our hearts so that we can truly bring you glory and understand that uh, it's all about you, Lord. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.